Big adventures in the podcasting world this week, Jack. Big adventures. Big adventures. Well, I, I didn't get to go on this adventure. Well, I did. I did. I you jumped did. in my car and I went down to Limerick to visit the lovely Dee McMahon. Yeah, Dee, so Dee's the host of Neighbour Food Limerick. Neighbour Food Limerick was um, set up in, I think, March 2020. And it's hosted kind of out the side of Limerick's iconic milk market. Dee is an amazing host. She's brought together the absolute best of producers of Limerick County. And I think throughout the whole entirety of the last two years, it's it's been an amazing lifeline to producers to sell what they had. And, and still now to this day, it has the, the absolute best and delicious produce from the whole county of Limerick. Yeah. And she's an so, absolute uh, diamond as well, isn't she? She's great. Yeah. Yeah. So Dee was listening to the podcast and she got in touch with us and she put a couple of ideas into our heads about who to speak to. And one of them was Kevin Wallace. And Kevin is the owner of New Leaf Urban Farmers. So I suppose I asked her why did she think that he would be a good person to talk to? And this is what she said. I love what Kevin does. Uh, I love his passion. He, he really has incredible passion for someone that didn't, you know, didn't grow up in farming. Um, to have the kind of passion he has, it's, it's, uh, it's inspiring for me. It's been very inspiring for me to watch how he has grown his, you know, what's effectively an allotment yeah. uh, from a tiny space into the, you know, really productive farm that it is now. And his uh, produce is just incredible. Yeah. He's kind of very well known now for his hackerai turnips, um, his salads and his carrots. You know, very, his produce is prized among the best chefs in the city, but also among the discerning customer. And I think his passion. Really oh, yeah. Is. It's really all about the passion. You know, he's, he's, he, I think, <laughs> underestimates, underestimates himself constantly. Like he, he's, mm-hmm. he doesn't, he, he sometimes doesn't appreciate how far he's come and how much mm-hmm. he has put into it and how well he has done in a very short space yeah. of time. So, I mean, if we had more people like him, it would be. It would be amazing, you know. It's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that she's got such a great connection with her um, producers. It's brilliant, isn't it? Mm, absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, so this, this guy, Kevin, he's he's passionate. He's inspirational. He's got everything going on, but he's got really, really big ideas on his little farm. And do you know what? It is little. It's only an acre and a half, but it's very mighty. And that's also why we went to visit, because... He is actually using a farming process that we don't really know much about or it's not widely adapted here in Ireland and it's called Korean natural farming. Have you ever heard about it, Jack? Um, Well, only after I discovered kind of Kevin, I started looking into it. But basically, as the name suggests, it's developed in Korea and South Korea. Mm -hmm. The 1960s by a Dr. Cho Han Kai. That's how you pronounce it. We might have to Mm. Google that one. (laughs) This was particularly, it was in response to the increasing dependence of synthetic chemicals. So the the need to kind of control farming with with chemicals. And this doctor wanted to design a way that local farmers could kind of generate most of the farm's fertility from waste products from the farm itself. So using things like eggshells, compost, you know, wild plants, clippings, herbs, what have you. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Cho combined plant biology with a Korean love for fermentation and through much testing and you know uh, different types of proven successes he developed what's now referred to as Korean natural farming. Yeah so will we see if we can get a better understanding of some of these concepts and I suppose learn why this system could work 
and not only in Korea, but also in Ireland. So here's Kevin to tell us a little bit more. Farming. So Korean natural farming is about minimising waste as much okay. as possible um, and to minimise, to, to find the local. Um, that's what it's really about. It's, it's not all farming about minimising waste. Um, it should be, but it's not. Because what, what is waste? What is waste? Yeah. I suppose it's stuff that's left over, isn't it? It's yeah, like or, or inefficiency. Inefficiency. Yeah, yeah, it's inefficiency. So if you look at it in terms of, you've got a 600-acre farm out there mm-hmm. and you've got cattle on it, it's actually a really inefficient system. Okay, tell me why. Because you're not maximising the land. You, you can only put an X amount of cattle in there right. okay, per field, per cattle, per field. So if you do that, there's only a certain amount of income you can generate from that. Mm-hmm. You need a huge amount of space. Mm-hmm. It's not really efficient. Mm-hmm. So if you look at, we'll say, vegetable farming, we can do what we're doing here, what we call bio-intensive. So we can really pack in a huge amount in a very, very small space. And that's maximising the space as much as possible. And with the larger scale agriculture, you find that does, it can't happen. You can't have that efficiencies because it's such, a big, it's such a big area that you're trying to control that you're going to have efficiencies straight away. If you think of the original farms in Ireland, it was 20 acres, 40 acres. And they had a mixed farm. So they had cattle, they had sheep, they probably have a couple of pigs. And they'd have had chickens or ducks or geese or something. And they'd have vegetables. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty much self-sufficient. That's gone now because the bigger farmers are in a system that's, how would I say, m- maximising your production, economies of scale. Sure. The bigger it is, the, the cheaper it is to produce. Because after the Second World War, the EU wanted to have cheap food. Because mm-hmm. people were starving. Yeah. You know, that was the idea. However, that's become commonplace now. So... Maybe there's a bit of pushback now with the, with the EU that might be changing because they're looking for more organic methods and so on and so forth. But the fact of Ireland producing milk for China, baby powder milk or something like that, is, is not an efficient use of our land considering what we have here. Sure. We're a very temperate climate. Yeah. So that means we don't really have very hot summers or very, very cold winters. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's quite temperate. So we should really, we're kind of, we should be the Garden of Europe, I think. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense what he's talking about here, doesn't it? Really does. And what I love about this is that usually when you look at any type of organic principle, and this would be kind of another level of organic, let's say, another evolution. That's actually how he described it. He said, like, he's not an organic farmer. It's an evolution of organic farming. Yeah. And I'm I'm hearing a lot at the moment about symbiotic farming as Mm. being another evolution of organic. And all too often, those types of things, from the point of view of the public, they look on it, or even from the point of view of conventional farmers, you kind of say, it's just not practical. We need bigger yields. Mm. We need bigger vegetables. We need to control disease to minimize losses. But in reality, when you speak to someone like Kevin, you realize that these principles that he's applying, they are about maximizing efficiency. Mm. They are about minimizing waste. Yeah. And actually, what he's going to talk about in a while and explaining the yields that he can get from his tomato plants, it just goes to show that there are other styles and principles that can benefit the soil and can improve uh, the yield that you're getting. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, but I, I, do you know what I want to look at now is actually how does this Korean farming method work? Because I think that's important for people to kind of get a sense of that. And like when mm-hmm. I googled Korean natural farming, I just came up with like all these um these strange acronyms. You know, like I was getting IMOs and FP, FPGs. <laughs> I like I absolutely have no idea what they're talking about. I'm probably the furthest person that you could find now from being a farmer. So like <laughs> this was great that Kevin actually kind of broke that down a little bit for me and he explained um he actually he explained the process of when they go to the forest and they they pick out the microbes and they bring those microbes back to the farm. 
to using the plants. So let's see how this actually works. How could I describe it? It's a two-way system. So you look at the soil and then you look at the plant. So okay. the soil, so what we do is we go to the forest and we get biology. But we want to get the biology that's that's Darwinian in nature, in the right. sense that it's it's highly evolved, it's highly adapted to its environment, it's a really efficient system, and the microbes that are that are in that soil are pristine, okay. they're healthy, they're strong, um, and that's what we look for. So we go to an old forest, usually like a, a deciduous or broadleaf forest, and we find a, the oldest tree that we can find. Okay. It has to be at a certain elevation, it has to be south-facing. And what we do then is we get a medium, and the medium we use like a substrate, and what we use there is we use um, rice, and we parboil the rice. Oh. So it's like half cooked. Okay. And we put it into a basket, a natural basket, which kind of holds at the bottom of it. Um, yeah, it's like breathable. No, yeah, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> and then what we do is that becomes a medium, like, like a food source, a highly available food source for the microbes. Okay. So what you do is you get fungi and bacteria populating that. So what we do is we find a tree and we push away the leaves. But if you look where the leaves are, there's different layers with those leaves because there's different levels of composite decomposition. Mm-hmm. And what decomposes leaves is microbes. Mm. So that's what they're doing. So if you look at it, a tree, a tree never moves, but it's completely self-sufficient. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. why is that? So what's the relationship between the tree and the soil? Is it just that it's got a really good root system that's spreading out and it's collecting all the nutrients? Well, Not I necessarily. The leaves are falling and yeah. they're biodegrading into the soil and exactly. that's providing nutrients. And exactly. That's been all. It's a big circle, isn't it? Exactly. So yeah. the root system of the tree then has to get those um, my, um, nutrients and suck them up, basically. And, sure. And... and uh, use them it's so like school lesson this is great yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what we call in in, in soil microbiology is um, is relationships symbiotic relationships mm-hmm. so the tree when it has this root system like that it's got a relationship with fungi and the fungi especially like mercosial fungi will wrap around um, the roots of the tree and protect it the, protect mm. the roots of the tree and then around that then what we call the rhizosphere on the root system there within a couple of meter, millimetres either side are bacteria Okay. And basically what happened there is, is the fungi are getting, the tree is photosynthesizing. So it's grabbing carbon from the, from the atmosphere, bringing it down to the tree and into the root system. Mm-hmm. And as it's doing that, it's changing it into that carbon to a carbohydrate, a very simple carbohydrate, like, like okay. glucose. Yeah. And that goes down and the fungi love that, so they eat that. So the tree is right. feeding the fungi. Yeah. And in return then, the fungi and the bacteria are going out, getting um, the NPK and all the micro minerals it needs and giving them back to the tree. Okay. So the tree's not really working very hard and using a lot of energy to get, to get food. So what we're doing then is we're finding that kind of a system that's really efficient, the tree's healthy, and grabbing those microbes because mm-hmm. we know they're a very efficient system and they're really healthy. It's yeah. a strong population. And when we get that, we put, it, we put the rice into the ground. <clears throat> and once we do that, then after three or five days, that's populated with the best fungi and bacteria. Wow, that sounds incredible. It's, it's really, really good, yeah. yeah. But we want a broad spectrum. We don't want a particular type. Okay. We want as broad as possible. And then what we do after three or five days, we have a look at it and see how it is. We feel the base of it. If it's warm, then we know the microbes are kind of multiplying and um, culturing or populating it. We take that then and we weigh it. Usually when that rice we have in the, in the, in the basket, is, you, turns out like almost like a rice cake. It okay. actually because the microbes are binding in between it. And the reason why we parboil it is there's air gaps between it. Okay. Where if you really boil rice, it, it kind of gets mushy a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that, then if it gets like that, then it gets kind of anaerobic and it'll go off and you get bad bacteria. Right. So if you parboil it, the good bacteria get in there and the good fungi get in there. And we're really looking for fungi more than the bacteria because out in the field here, it's usually bacterial dominated. So what we want to do is go from a grassland almost to a forest, mm-hmm. like in, a midway point. Because in a forest, it's almost completely fungal dominated and bring the nutrients from the forest back to here the microbes the microbes 
what we call indigenous microbes. So what we're looking for is something local, okay. extremely local. So I go out to Cratlow Forest, for example, and that's my area because I know it's as the bird flies, it's only about 20 kilometres away, less probably. Less, yeah. yeah, it's probably, what, 12, 13, yeah, 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 as a crow flies. So that's kind of super local. But you could also go out to your field here and get it from your field here as well. But the optimum would be to find somewhere that you find an old tree. But the trees around here are quite young and there's a lot of cattle around and there's a lot of rustling mm. around and human activity. So yeah. we try and find something that's pristine. When we come back then, we get it and we weigh the rice and see how much weight is there. And if it's like one kilo, for example, we'll mix it down with brown sugar, raw organic brown sugar. It has to be sugar cane sugar. And when we mix it together then, the osmotic pressure from the sugar molecule latches onto the water molecule. And like, like osmotic pressure, it pulls it out and it, it, it dries it. It's like a, a, a drying kind of thing. Basically what you're doing is you're preserving the microbes. You're putting them into a stasis because they don't have any moisture. Because okay. the sugar locks, the sugar molecule and the water molecule lock together like this. And because of that then, it's kind of like an anaerobic environment. It's like a ferment, but it's it basically it's kind of like a stasis for the microbes. By having it like that, then we put a breathable cap on it, which is usually a kitchen towel and an elastic band, and we put it into a kind of a cool, dark area and leave it there. Okay. And then when we want to use it, we'll use it. So what we do then is we get like a 20-litre bucket, and then we get a carbohydrate source and a carbon source. So the carbon source might be like wood chips, and the carbohydrate source could be something like um, mill run or... Um, wheat bran or it could be oats oats okay. you rolled oats is a good yeah. one and then what we do is we add all these ingredients into the water with about two teaspoons of, of that microorganism oh, science it is yeah yeah, it, <laughs> yeah it is and this yeah. is the whole thing about it, it is scientific yeah. it's not hippy dippy stuff it's mm-hmm. extracted rooted in science um and it's 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 been going since probably 1965 um and i think there are about 50 60,000 korean natural farmers in korea alone and I presume with the name. So it is a science. And like this was just one example that Kevin gave me of how he gathers these microbes. But like we talked for ages, you know, and he gave me like loads of other processes. And these kind of included fermentation and he composites them with different solutions. And all of these then he feeds to the soil and to his crops. And he kind of explained them like big vitamin booster shots, like to, to maximize the ability of the yield. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. And it's such a logical thing when it's thought about that really caring for the plants is second, caring for the soil is first. So mm-hmm. feeding your soil really is a much more direct way of looking after what you're growing. No? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I suppose when I actually saw it in practice, like he later took me into the fermenting shed, it, to be honest, it kind of seemed more like a science lab than, than anything else. Like there was microscopes and boxes of fermented goods and the whole lot. But, you know, we'll go there later because we took a little walk around the farm. So let's play a little bit back to see what's growing. Here's spinach on the right hand side. You can see down the bed. So you can see this compost here. So we've sieved this, even though I get it, I sieve it so we get extra fine okay. but you can see the bits of wood and everything else in here right and the reason for that is the finer it is the faster it will break down mm. so I okay. put biology into there and then I put the compost on top we've got spring onions and baby leeks here and that will be ready for the um, for spring and of course like there was lots of other things that you'd expect to see growing in a market garden so he had salads and spinach and broccoli and actually, the, the next bit now, we're standing in the polytunnel, right? And it's full of tomatoes. Tomatoes in November. That plant there, usually you'd have six to eight, maybe nine, maybe even ten trusses. So the truss means the branch with all the fruit in it. Yes. Okay. So most people say in kind of gardening and stuff, after six or seven, you cut the top off the, the tomato plant. Yeah. I don't. 
I've had 22 trusses okay. on that plant. Wow. Okay, so that means I've doubled, over doubled my production. Yeah. Okay. And hasn't really deteriorated the quality in any way. Because of the process yeah, of what you're yeah. doing. I know, yeah. So, Julian, I'm super fascinated to know this. this is, it's getting good yields. He's feeding the soil. He's probably giving back the soil better than he found it after yeah. he's had his harvests. Yeah. But does it affect the flavour of the vegetables that are coming from his land? Yeah, absolutely. But in the best possible way, like I actually had one of these little uh, salad turnips and we just literally plucked it out of the ground. And I got to say, it was it was outstanding. It, it was absolutely outstanding. And I asked Dee as well about, you know, what was her customer reaction to, to Kevin's food? And she said, like, people just absolutely loved it. I mean, the process was one thing, but they really, really appreciated the good food. And, and I suppose they kind of missed him then, you know, when he's gone, because of course, like Kevin is a seasonal farmer. If he doesn't have, um, you know, pro- produce available, it's not going to be there at the market. Um, so yeah, it's the, it's the taste that really gets people and gets loyal customers to him too. Okay. And, and also from looking at the photographs, it h- how big is, is his allotment um well it's a small holding so it's one and a half acres um big it's p- pretty pretty small like um, okay so just to put that into context that's smaller than a football pitch yeah wow now do you know what i actually asked him how did he get into farming because as d explained earlier he was pretty new to this game and he kind of avoided the question for a while until i finally got him but i think there was something in me uh, all the time to be in nature I'm from the countryside I'm from Broadford County Clare hmm. um, Doxy Maloney was my neighbour okay. and my parents bought the site from him and the back of the house he had a bit of land and he used to always grow spuds yes. and he had huge hands I'd always remember his hands massive hands You've big got thick wrists farmer hands now yeah. at this point yourself me uh, no, uh, piano fingers um, <laughs> as my mother would say um, they're city fingers you see um, not now not now yeah they're all, yeah, they're all <laughs> mangled um, but no the point being is I think that was a very early memory for me yes and I loved it I loved the freedom of it yeah and I think the thing with farming is you've got that freedom you're mm. not in an office um, and I've worked in offices and I've done all that kind of stuff and I or it just doesn't suit me yeah it suits some people it suits, doesn't suit others for me it was just I had to be outdoors I've always see, I, as a kid I was always fly fishing and fishing mm. and running around yeah. the fields and I when I was a little bit older I was kind of shooting and stuff and I stopped that then because you kind of grow out of those things killing things all the time um, but, you, uh, but again it was kind of the hunter attitude whereby you killed something to eat it you just didn't shoot it for the sport yeah. it was going out doing those things and those yeah. things I suppose are not PC anymore um, but yeah we'll go out we'll eat our factory farm food you know uh, anyway so I'm going to jump in here because I just I think when I met you first mm-hmm. and you you were you just finishing your degree? Masters, yeah. And there definitely was a longing in you at that stage to try something different. How yeah, long ago was this very time? much so. That was like 2014? 14, yeah. And, um, yeah, and then the suddenly, suddenly yourself and Graham were... Yeah, myself and Graham basically growing. met. I was doing my, um, my uh, thesis on the urban co-op when Dee was running it. And... I was looking at, I suppose I did youth community and uh, social regeneration out in UL under Martin Power. And I suppose I was looking at that and I was looking at systems. It's because Limerick is such a deprived city, um, economically. There's a lot, there's lot, there was, I suppose, 10 years ago, there was like some really bad trouble in Limerick. Mm. And I was thinking, how can, 
when I did youth community and social regeneration, it's looking at social regeneration, but also looking at economic regeneration through social regeneration. So the idea of getting communities together and doing things as a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was started looking at, I'd just come back from Korea and I saw how space is used and how they were urban farming there. Yeah. And the utilisation of space, that was the thing for me. That was the, the clearest thing is how they planned everything. And they had to because in Korea, they got 51 million people. It's smaller than the size of Ireland. 70% of the, the country is covered in mountains, like really kind of these fold mountains. Yeah. So it's, you can't really use it. It's, yeah. They're low, but they're, they're kind of very, they're really angled, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean, kind of this way. So land is a premium because you have 50 million people that need to, to work, to live, to eat, to socialise, all that kind of stuff. But also as well then, you need farmers and, yeah. you need it, and it's got a lot of heavy industry. Mm-hmm. So they've got the car industry, they've got the electronics industry mm-hmm. there. So there's all this competition for space. So planning is huge for them. It's huge. Everything has to be right. And the way that they do it is phenomenal. And it's really organised. And it's something that if we did in Ireland, we'd probably be be one of the most forefront countries in the world I think would be one of the most developed because <laughs> it's such an efficient system okay. and they use the land and they're, able, and they're a powerhouse of an economy yeah. and there's no real difference between us and them yeah, that's the way I always see it yeah, yeah exactly think, um, how important is it to have small farmers like you um, supplying well if you go well it, you can see the way the food system's gone with Covid and, and Brexit you know if you go into Tesco or something like that, you'll see that this, the shelves are empty of certain items every single week. Mm-hmm. It's not full, full all the time. There's these shortages, and it's only going to get worse, I think, um, especially with Brexit, um, because businesses will, will close. Um, so, what does that mean? So, we're reliant on this kind of globalized food system whereby if everything's highly dependent, because you have to, if you're going to ship items and food and everything is all around the world very efficiently and it's like what the supermarkets do they're looking around the world and looking at the how would I say the stages throughout mm-hmm. the world so you've got winter summer all around there. so like here now we're winter but Australia will be summer and Peru now at the moment where my wife is from is going into, into summer mm-hmm. so they'd have like ginger ready and asparagus ready at that time of year and they're getting it and because it's globalised they can they buy it huge amounts and then ship it across the world and everything else but if there's something like COVID, then the whole system gets broken. Because, yeah, yeah so we're reliant on that. We're reliant on this, 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 these kind of systems. And it, it, people don't realise that quinoa and maca and things like that, quinoa is from Peru. Mm-hmm. And it's the poorest people eat that. Mm. But yeah, you get people on certain diets, they think, well, I'm going to buy it. And now it's really expensive. So much so that it's now, it, it's, more, it's more lucrative to export it than it is for local people to buy it. So the poorest people are suffering from it. Yes. It's like okay. almond milk and stuff like that. It's not, there's so many different... Yeah, because all these health fads, this idea of superfoods and everything else, yeah. which is just really nonsense. Just yeah. eat a balanced so diet. We forget about our, our own exactly. Irish traditional foods as exactly. well, you know? Well, that's what we grew on. And this is the whole comeback against soil and microbes. Yeah. That we are, you are what you eat. Mm. It's as simple as that. Your mm. gut, it's got the same fauna as in the soil. So, so you've got uh, bacteria and fungi in your tummy. So if you're eating microbes that's from your area, it's like, it's like honey, yes. local honey. You're eating that because there's microbes in that and there's the pollens and stuff like that in there. You're taking that, that your body is used to that because you've been, you're from this area, generation after generation after generation. So surely that if you're eating things that are, that are full of healthy microbes and they're going into your gut, that's only going to improve things. Yeah. But if you get something from across the world, that's 
kept in storage for six months or a year before you get it, which often happens, especially things like ginger, because ginger can stay, because that thick skin on ginger can stay for months and months and months. Well, not to mention that most of the ginger coming into Ireland is coming from China, and we don't really know what their growing practices are. You know, we can get some from Limerick as well. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. This is the thing you see. So it's, it's, look, the problem with farming at the moment is it's not, farmers are getting bashed around the place, and it's really unfair. Yeah. Because they're in a system whereby they go to university and they learn you have to do this, this and this and this. You have to, because the EU tells you you have to do this, this and this, you have to follow the system. If you don't follow the system, you don't get your payments. And Mm -hmm. because the middleman is getting all the money, Mm -hmm. it's the fertiliser man, it's the feed man, Mm -hmm. it's the... the, 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 Larry Goodmans. Yeah, and it's also as well the milk crowds. It's the the milk processors are getting most of the money. So the farmer at the end of the day is getting less and less and less. So he's caught or she is caught the whole time trying to make a living. As, as one farmer said to me, uh, Tom Stack, I don't know if you've met him. Um, he said Korean to me, I was supporting farmer? four families. Okay. And I, was, I couldn't support my own family. Well, so that's, because, because of the system. Yeah, and the banks, happen, like, yeah. and because the price, and because the land is, is now in such a premium, because everybody's scaling up. Farmers are now renting and renting and renting, mm. getting more and more land because it's, that's, you get more payments from the EU. And, and you're almost it, forced into doing that, isn't it? You are, because if you don't, then you're some kind of idiot. Yeah. Yeah, so they're very much encouraged to go big or go home. Yeah. Like, and, the, and this is the idea again of factory scale. Yeah. When you can't do factory scale production on food, you just can't do it. Something yeah. has to give. Yeah. So and usually it's quality. It's and quality, yeah. Per, you know, somebody's quality of life as well. Yeah, and destroying the soil. Yeah. You get monocultures. And if you get monoculture, then you, look, look at the insect um, decline, 80%. Mm. So we walked around the farm and like it was really interesting that the conversation was great and, and like Kevin was really enthusiastic to show me, I suppose, some of the really clever processes that he had implemented on the farm because like there's no dig, there's no machinery, everything is done by hand. It, this is really simplified farming, low cost, right? And one of the things he showed me was this paper pot planting system, right? So I suppose the best way to describe it would be like um, an accordion style piece of paper that would um, pull out, right? And there was like a honeycomb in the middle of it. And then they spread um, soil onto this and then they put seedling or seeds into the honeycomb and they grew into seedlings. And then instead of kind of like transplanting the seedlings, they basically had a little push truck system to lay out the seedlings each in a line, you know? So like Mm. it was a really simple, simple um, process of doing something that would take possibly hours in a very quick amount of time. So that was cool. (laughs) Have you ever seen anything like that? I have not. (laughs) You have not. I I can see that you're bubbling with enthusiasm as I describe this, Jack. <laughs> no, but I love it. Anytime I visit um, any any farm of any size, you always find that someone there is a bit of an inventor, yeah, and and loving the clever ways of doing things. Like yeah. I remember one time being out with Eddie Eddie Robinson, Caroline Robinson's husband, and he had kind of developed this frame with a sheet. And he would lie his woofers on the sheet and he would slowly drive his tractor forward and they would they would weed as they go without having to crouch down and move, just lying down. And he would kind of drag them along while they weeded and just fly through through um, a drill, a drill, you know, it was brilliant. Yeah, I I reckon Kevin could be a bit one of these kind of crazy inventors as well. Like, Mm -hmm. But then he actually took us into his um, science experimental lab slash shed like. 
And this mm. was very exciting now, to be honest, because like he had a microscope just when you came in. And I was really disappointed that it wasn't actually set up and ready to go because I would have loved to have seen like all the microbes and the fungi and mm. everything. But what he did have was like this just concoction of bottles and potions and liquids and like it, it was just phenomenal you know and he was like really encouraging us to to smell and to sniff and well I didn't taste anything but I was just kind of looking at it in kind of trepidation and wonder <laughs> so this was interesting now as well come on in here so is this so I was telling you we do a lot of fermenting Great. so this here is I've extracted already but just to show you, so this is FAA, as I said, uh, we use acronyms for it, and that's fish amino acids. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we use fish amino acids is because it's a high protein um, ferment. Okay. We ferment as you can see, 22nd of the 10th, 2020. Mm-hmm. So it's over a year old. Um, it takes about a year to go. And we use blue-backed blue fish or black-backed fish, so like salmon, tuna, mackerel. Mm-hmm. But for Ireland, we use mackerel. And that's because it's abundant and it's, it's, it's cheap. And we don't use the fish that have got the fillets on them. We use just the waste. Okay. They're, being, they're throwing it yeah. away. And then what we do is we mix it with the sugar, the brown sugar down there, the organic sugar. Mm-hmm. And then we make this. So we just fill it all up with sugar, one-to-one ratio. And you've got it. It actually doesn't smell like fish. I know. It smells kind of sweet. Sweet. Yeah. I was going to say sweet. Tamarindy almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's all, they're over and a year now old. it looks disgusting. It does, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I'm looking in here now, what I'm seeing is fish bones, mm. heads, a kind of a thick sauce, gluey, mm. brownie, gravy-like. Mm, mm, mm. It's a fish oil. It's a fish oil. So if I get a, a pipette... No. Don't make me taste it now. Mm. <laughs> oh, you can t- everything is, uh. <laughs> I tasted some of the stuff and it all tastes good. So if you look at it, there's the IMO4 there. You can see it. It's just... So this is like kind of bark mulch almost, isn't it? That's wood chip. And there you can see this bit of oats in there. So the, and then the soil. So that's the indigenous microorganisms in there. Right. So they've kind of populated that. They've inoc- we've inoculated the, that soil, okay. our soil here. Okay. And that's four because it's the fourth stage. So we use this as a cleanser. So it's a brown rice vinegar, Korean brown rice vinegar. And the reason why I use this is because a plant often can build up on a cellular level, um, blockages and mm. have all the, the wrong types of, I suppose, it can get constipated, put it that way. Mm. So this is like a diuretic. It cleans, it flushes the plant out. Okay. It's an acid, but when the plant metabolizes, it becomes an alkaline. Mm-hmm. So it goes in there and basically opens up the cell walls. So by, basically by opening up the cell walls, you're allowing more nutrients and, and water to flow through that. Easier. Yeah, your body does that too. Yeah, exactly. Taking an acid, it turns it into an alkaline. Yeah, exactly. Especially is, things like cider vinegar. Or yeah, exactly. Like yeah. This is the whole thing, you see. So we're very, plants are very similar to humans in that sense. Um, this is WSP, or water-soluble calcium phosphate. And we make this from bones. What kind of bones? Um, any kind of bones. Um, pig, sheep, um, cow, chicken, not so much so, or, or fish, not so much so. It, generally, we use... Um, Kind of the denser bones. How do vegans feel about this? Um, I'm not sure. Don't tell them. I, they do now. <laughs> well, I think I know. I think I think if you're if you're vegan, then you have to understand a couple of things because you'd have to, most organic farmers use cow manure. Mm. So you're coming along and you're saying, "Oh, we don't use any animal products." Generally, I don't. Mm. Like, if, this is almost. I've got a couple of bottles there. So these bones have been thrown out. So I went to the butchers. So they're waste. This is waste. I'm, I'm not killing an animal to do it. This is already waste that's going to be thrown out. And this is the idea again of Korean natural farming of no waste. Yeah. So we get these bones and we basically charcoal them. Um, 
so basically we just cook them in this. Say, they actually look like little pieces of charcoal. charcoal. So they're about like size of a 50 cent coin? Yeah, exactly. They're the knuckles. The knuckles. Yeah, okay. of, the sh of the sheep, yeah. I got them in a halal shop because um, it's across the road for me. That's the, or this the, or um, the oriental herb nutrient, OHN. Okay, but that's all mixed together now. We don't normally mix it together. We keep them usually separated and they're in these jars here. That's obviously still. So this one is licorice root. So you can come over here. So this is over a year old. And because it's a year old, um, you can smell it now. So that's the... That's okay, basically... So it's actually quite mild, the smell of that. Yeah, it's not, it's not overpowering. Um, it's kind of licorice root as well, so it's not that strong. Yeah. Um, and we, we seal it up as well because it's alcohol, so we don't evaporate yeah. it. So when I want to use this, I'll mix the six of them together. So I'll, I'll get you the, This one's quite a nice one. I think the... Um, is this the cinnamon? Yeah. The cinnamon's nice. That's cinnamon there now. You can smell That's quite strong. It's lovely, isn't it? That's and again, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this is this is, and this is all edible. You know, yeah. this is this is fine for human consumption. And same with the calcium, and same with the is calcium phosphate. Um, that's my, they're my true smart jokes. Oh yes. Okay. So that was really interesting stuff, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I'd and love it, to see it. Yeah, and to be honest, like actually seeing it really kind of just made it make sense for me because I was a little bit kind of confused um, to before that so no that was that was really good and like we were there we were just chatting away about all sorts of things like you know kind of I suppose the nutrition value of food and like the soil health again that that kind of came up you know food education and his ambitions and his future kind of prospects for the farm so let's have a little listen here to some parts of that how important is it for the world to have healthy soil well a, a great way to a great way to look at this is a, a, a a chef friend of mine, Keith Piggott, he's the head chef in the One Perry Square. He said, of the five years I've known you, you've spent the last two years talking about vegetables and the last two years talking about soil. So that's why it's kind of pivoted, really. It, you're going back to the soil, the health of the soil, because that's everything. The plant is, the plant is, e plants are easy to grow because that's all they do. That's what they're designed to do is to grow and reproduce and die off. Yeah, that's, the, that's what most of the annuals do. Perennials are a little bit different. But in that sense, then, its only thing it wants to do is grow. So what you're doing is you're only kind of shepherding it, really, yeah. but to, and create the conditions for it to grow correctly and grow to its truest form, I suppose. Yes. So how you do that is you have to look after the soil. Look after the soil, then it gets off to a great start, and it's got, the better the root development, the better the, the type of plant you're going to have, mm. the more resistant it is to disease and, pe and pest pressure and so on and so forth, fluctuations in temperature and weather conditions and things like that. So... By having that, that means you have to have a malleable, soft soil that's not um, compacted, that's not very hard, that the roots can penetrate through the, that area pretty easily. And to be able to do that, again, is biology. Mm -hmm. And having to kind of, I suppose, flocate the soil is that word. Um, um, so that's what we're trying to do. That's yeah. basically it. Better soil makes better plants, yeah. makes healthier humans. Yeah, and more nutritious. I think nutrition is really important as well. I haven't really talked about that because... But give us a couple of lines on nutrition. Why well, is that important? Yeah, I suppose there's been a rapid decline in nutrition from the 50s onwards. And I think there's, there's a meta-analysis done and you can look at it. It's can be reviewed that looked at the nutrition of vegetables in the Western Hemisphere, Northern Western Hemisphere. Um, and it's kind of going down and down and down. And that's with the advent of chemical fertilizers and chemical agriculture. Um, if you've got plants there that are just getting a specific type of nutrition 
um, they're bloated. Yes. They're kind of. You did mention that earlier. Yeah. 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 Um, you find that they're growing very quickly, mm-hmm. and you find that if something grows quickly, it usually isn't as nutritious as something that's taken its time to grow and it's grown at the right time exactly. and and given the right nutrients to it as well. So yeah. the soil. So there's things that we don't know about the soil. So we don't know the roles of certain bacteria and their relationship mm-hmm. with crops, and because of that. Um, we don't know the, the micronutrients of each plant, essentially, what they're getting compared to chemical ag- agriculture, I suppose, in that sense. So what we're looking, we're seeing is it just tastes better. If it usually tastes better, that means it's more nutritious because it's, it, there's more flavour to it. It, mm-hmm. it, it it's, um, it's denser. It's, um, it's, it's more complex. Or if you get the carrots in the supermarket, they're kind of, there's no flavour in them. Yeah, and I don't want to use carrots the whole time, but this is probably an easy one because everybody can relate to it. You pick up a carrot and you're eating it, and it doesn't really taste of anything. Yeah, that kind of it's like a tomato inside. It's and like the t- watery. Yeah. Nah. Whereas you get your carrots, and everyone talks about the sweetness of them and the intensity of it. Yeah. And it's because it's grown in the, in, in the right conditions yeah. and it's given the right amount. So we give our carrots potassium um, and give it a nice little bit of potassium every kind of two weeks, just to give it a little bit, a little bit extra. A bit of a gist. Yeah, and that potassium will lead to sweetness. So same with the tomatoes, mm-hmm. you know, um, give, them, give them potassium. Um, and the tomatoes are the same thing as well. The tomatoes you get in the supermarkets are, are hybridised. I use hybrids myself. Um, and the reason I use hybrids is because they just get better yield. That's all it is. But I'm very selective. I've gone through about 30 different types of cherry tomatoes to kind of settle on three or four. And, and that's what we saw in the tunnel. Yeah, that was, yeah, there were two of them. Um, the other ones were, were taken up. But the point about those is I picked them particularly for their sweetness. Okay. That kind of idea. Yeah. That they're, this is it. But not all hybrids are bad. Mm-hmm. But you still need seed sovereignty and you need some kind of sovereignty. So the seeds that I usually um, source are from family um, high, uh, seed producers. Okay. So it's in the, they're independent. They're not Monsanto or anything else. Like that. They're independent. They're family run. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need it as well. You can't do everything yourself. I can't save all my seed. I just don't have time. Yeah. How are you getting on, Jack? Are you enjoying the conversation so far? I haven't lost you, have I? I'm keeping it together, yeah. Good, good, good. It's pretty clear that Kevin is fairly passionate about what he's doing, right? Yeah, it just makes so much sense that the person growing your vegetables actually cares about the nutritional quality of your vegetables, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah, Yeah, I love it. It (laughs) is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's my life. Yeah. Jump besides family. You know, this is what the key you've only got a certain amount of time in this world you might as well use it in a way that that's satisfying damn right yeah you have to otherwise you, you kind of wasted your life because you've got caught up in other things and you've made priorities in the wrong way you can prioritise money you can prioritise but like if you get loads of money and you've got a really high uh, power job or successful job see what what is success what does actually success mean for me success means being able to provide for my family uh, rearing my child as best as I possibly can that he turns out to be kind of a decent human being mm-hmm. and also as well having job satisfaction in the sense that I'm not sacrificing uh, my family over my career in that mm-hmm. sense and that's getting that balance right mm-hmm. that family work kind of relationship that's success to me mm-hmm. that's the answer uh, to your question from earlier <laughs> yeah it is it's really really important it's, it's fundamental to me um, I don't always get it right and it's a constant fight to try and do it but that you find the longer you're doing this the easier it gets. Yeah, okay. the, the, you, like, as I said, all those systems that have set up help out. Um, the next system now is to have automatic watering and r- rain capture, rainwater capture and stuff like that. So I want to get to be able to capture about 20,000 litres of water and have that going the whole time. Yeah. 
So I'm not using chlorinated water or fluoride, uh, fluorided water, fluorated or fluorided. Yeah. Fluoridated. Fluoridated, there water you go. Water from the sky. Yeah, yeah, water from the sky. And that's really important, especially when you're using microbes. You can't be using chlorine. Especially when we have so much water. In our yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'll still wash my vegetables in the chlorinated water, but I'll water my plants with rainwater. But that's the last, the last area really that I have to kind of do on the farm. So then it becomes slightly semi-automated okay. and that gives me more time then more time for family and I can maybe pull back to do a five day week if I have to yeah. this is the idea and if I could do a five day week I've, I've hit the jackpot you know and then we can think about the schools project yeah well we're, 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 we're in the process of trying to open up a cafe yeah so there's initial there's initial thing going out there initial feeder about a cafe so it'll be the newly urban farmer cafe or newly urban farm cafe um, and that's with a friend of mine uh, two friends of mine and so we'll, we'll work that way and see how that works out if that works out, then we'll do something else and we'll use the money from that to fund our project. Sure. And that's the idea. Kind of like a river cottage thing. Yes, but, yeah. But not river cottage. Yeah. It's, it's Irish and it's Limerick and it's... Um, uh, yeah, and it's about education just as much and in tourism. You know, Limerick City doesn't have very much in terms of... I don't know, I'll probably lambasta for this, for tourism. It's got the King's John's Castle. You've got the... Um, you'll have the Rugby Museum. You've got the Hunt Museum. And then you've got a couple of the churches and stuff like that. But people don't see Limerick as a tourist destination mm-hmm. because as far... If you're not into that, then you're very limited. Like yeah. You go to see Thoman Park if you yeah. want to. Yeah. Yeah. But not everybody's into that. So what else is there that you can bring the family to? And you can find that if you can bring them to a model farm, an urban farm, it becomes a focal point because it's... It, there's no barrier to entry the kids will be entertained, the parents are entertained yeah. and it's usually people that go on holidays are usually families anyway. So, and you want to keep them in the city and you want them coming to the city. Yeah. And we, we've thought about this quite a bit that if we produce everything on the farm and sell it and then what we produce, like that value added to be a soup or a casserole or a quiche yeah. or whatever it is, a sandwich, whatever, it's really high quality using all Limerick ingredients and as much as possible Limerick only. Yeah. And this is the idea of local again. And we know with D, all the hurl suppliers and everything else, we've been nicking all hers and uh, <laughs> doing it that way. But the point being is, this is local, and this is the idea of Korean natural farming as well, of using local, local, mm. the indigenous companies. Yeah. yeah, not Tipperary, not Clare, as much as we can, because that's not local to me. Mm. Local is Limerick. Mm. They are Irish produce. I know people say, well, we're not small, but it's still local. Mm. It's, it's, you've got to yeah. get into this idea of what local actually means, because everybody says, I'm using local, but you're not really using local, you're using Irish produce. Dublin is not local to me. That's the idea, but it's put under the banner of it should be Irish food then. Yes, yeah, yeah. But people are using, I'm using a local, I'm using local um, suppliers. And you find out then it's something like Palace Foods or Richardson's or something like that, who just they, import everything from around the world. They shouldn't be called a local supplier. Yeah, and they're not. And, no. but then you see and then people, I have to say, I love Palace Foods. They're, they're pets to deal with, not yeah, Richardson's. Yeah. But like, <laughs> if it's, uh, you're buying it from Palace Food, but it was imported from China. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah, or Kenya or something like yeah, that, yeah, you know, like yeah. chives from Tanzania. Yeah, yeah, yeah chives exactly. from Tanzania. Mad. And see, that's it, you see. So we're fighting against those, not fighting, but we're, we're trying to find our place. With all, this is the problem. And that's, it's, it's to make sure that people understand where to go and how to go. And the only way you can do that is education. And this all comes back to the whole point of having this model farm, mm-hmm. that people are able to see a couple of chickens there. And we're not producing 300 chickens a week kind of idea. Yeah. It, it's just a uh, show yeah, that we're using Korean natural yeah. farming methods for pigs. So we might be able to, and not only that, be able to link up so if we have a Korean natural farming model farm, mm. 
Number one, it's a research center. Number two, it's got a cafe and restaurant. Number three, um, you've got the educational part. Four, you've got the research part to show how this is used and also to convert conventional farmers into different methods. So you're given the methodologies. You can do a course on it, very low cost. Um, not we're making a profit by it, but we're actually using the profits of the farm to be able to fund these kind of yeah. programs. Also for schools as well. And the other thing is, is to look at it and link up with like what Tom Stack and Caroline Rigney as another bit of tourism for them. So you're linking up all these farms kind of idea and people that want to practice this. So you've got this this, this food trail that you can go around. So you get like West Limerick food or the Wild Atlantic Way. Why couldn't you have the Korean Natural Farming um, Trail? You know, that kind of idea. Yeah, these are the things that really has to happen in Limerick. It it just has to. It Um, will. I think it will. I I keep saying this. I know I'm fucking repeating myself the whole time, but... The, the, the scene in Limerick has changed completely since 2014, since mm. it was we were City of Culture in 2014. And just something changed that year, like Limerick Food Group was born and the Pigtown Festival and all that sort of thing. But the big difference is that there's a bit of a confidence now that was never there before. Really? Before City of Culture, everybody, you, you put out an idea, people go, that'll never work. Yeah. Whereas now you put out an idea, people go, sure, we'll try it. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed the little look at New Leaf Urban Farmers. I really did. It was it was fantastic. And I'm just kind of disappointed I don't have someone practicing, you know, Korean natural farming near me to be able to get stuck in. Yeah, yeah. I wonder now, like, will more farmers um, and people, I suppose, at home just kind of start taking on these practices and let's see how it grows and develops in the country? Because there's not too many doing it at the moment. I think there's only a, only a handful. And, like and it's really... fascinating to think how it applies in South Korea as well with the kind mm. of quality of the land that they have and how similar it is to Ireland. And I loved when he said that, you know, Ireland could be the, the market garden for, mm. did he say for Europe or even for the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's pretty ambitious, this guy. I mean, like, um, I can really see that school taking off, um, you know, the cafe. It's just so many ideas and so much enthusiasm. I, th- I think there's good people around him to, to make it happen. Watch the space. Brilliant. Um, so I suppose we leave it there. If you're interested in finding out a little bit more about Korean natural farming, Google is um, definitely a number one resource. And um, I suppose people like Kevin are always more than happy to dispense their knowledge to anybody who's, uh, you know, willing to listen and learn. And of course, you're going to find these guys as well on newleafurbanfarmers.com. That's their website. They're on all the usual social media. They're supplying into Neighbour Food Limerick and all the good restaurants around Limerick are also happy customers of Kevin. He's delighted to tell you that. What's coming up next week, Jack? Next week? I have no idea, Jolene. Well, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Behold, behold, next week is Christmas and we are going to be looking at Christmas food traditions around the world. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We've chatted to, to some far-reaching places and, and gotten the lowdown on what Christmas looks like for uh, for other cultures. It's really nice. Sounds good. Until then, talk to you then. Ta-ra. Ta-ra.